Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that have happened in history. I'm Amelia Edwards, your host for today, and with me as ever is Barnaby King. Hello. 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 Why are you talking like that guy off The Simpsons? I have no idea. All right, fair enough. I was originally going to interrupt you, uh, but I decided not to. Oh, thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've I've been very active today, so I'm kind of, you know, I'm feeling a bit... I've got kind of pent-up energy. Oh, no. <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about something very still. Oh. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, maybe that's good then. Maybe it's a chance to <laughs> calm down. We're recording this in the evening, so I probably should wind down anyway. Probably wise. Um, so today, given that we use a podcast... Um, as our method of speaking to the world, yeah. I thought, let's talk about something that translates really well on podcasts, and let's talk about photography. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Okay, so listeners, get your VR goggles ready. <laughs> uh, make sure that your podcast app has been tuned to the right frequency, and we will broadcast photographs directly into your brain. Absolutely. Well, as always, I'm going to try and include them on the Twitter, really. Mm. But um, a quick question for you, Barnaby. Yes. Who would you say was the most photographed American of the 19th century? <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a question. <laughs> um, I mean, who were the famous Americans of the 19th century? Well, this was the time when the Civil War happened. Right, okay. So... So we... So it could be Lincoln. Often people <laughs> say Lincoln. okay. Right. I take it it's not. It's not Lincoln. Right. Abraham Lincoln had 126 photographs taken of him over his lifetime. I mean, <laughs> what a, what an astounding achievement then. What a pitifully small achievement now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've got more than 200 pictures of our rabbits. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so mean to Lincoln, isn't it? Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so... Above Lincoln was George Custer. Oh, right. Okay. Right. And he got 155 photographs taken of him mm. during his lifetime. Mostly with dead natives around him. <laughs> Presumably. Mostly just pictures of him on his last stand or yeah. just after it, I guess. Just after it, full of arrows. Very much so. And more Was than that, that racist, assuming that arrows would be used... I, I kind of think arrows were used, weren't they? I, think, I mean, they would have I mean, used guns as well. I mean, they would have been muskets, probably. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Hard to say. Mm. At the top of our list, though, is Frederick Douglass. Um, I don't recognise that name. Okay, so Frederick Douglass was the most photographed American in the 19th century. He had 168 photographs taken of him. Okay. Why was he so... Was he just, like, a beautiful man? I mean, he was pretty gorgeous, <laughs> actually. Um, but he was... Hello, ladies. <laughs> I'm Frederick Douglass. Take photos of my gorgeous face. So, Frederick Douglass is one of the most famous American abolitionists. Oh, right. Okay. And he was black. Oh, okay. Right. Or, in fact, he was mixed race. But for his own purposes, he counts as being, you know, black. Uh, yeah, I mean, at the time, I don't think they're going to differentiate, really. No, he was born into slavery. Yeah. You are not white. Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you a bit about Frederick Douglass, and then I want to talk about his obsession with photography, because it's really, really interesting, actually. Okay. Um, so last time we talked about a person who was just kind of 
not on un- not extraordinary i yeah. suppose frederick Douglass is the opposite oh okay he is an extraordinary person oh it's probably good that we should get back to what the podcast is actually <laughs> meant to be about rather than just dude became a businessman mm. <laughs> So he was born into slavery. I feel bad for George Africanus now. Oh, that no. was mean. George Africanus did a good job. Yeah. But he didn't... Okay, George Africanus... Wow, that was patronising as well. He did a good job. Well done, you. Have a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess the thing is, like, both George Africanus and Frederick Douglass were born into slavery. Mm. Both of them were given as gifts as children as well. Man, this must have just been way more common than I thought. I guess. Yeah. I mean, Douglas is American, so maybe it was more commonplace there. I don't know. Could be. Um, I, I genuinely don't know. Yeah. And um, the difference being that Douglas's family, who he was gifted to, were not as kind and accepting as right. Africanus's were. Yeah. Um, there's some. There's some things that he said were positive in his own writing because he wrote a lot. Oh, okay, cool. I think he wrote three books about his own life. Oh, that's fantastic. And he also wrote like 10,000 speeches, like a ridiculous number of speeches. Right. I mean, if you're an abolitionist, that's kind of your job. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite one is because it's called something like, what is the 4th of July to a slave? Amazing. And he talks about how the 4th of July as a celebration of freedom just reminds all African-Americans of the fact that they're still in, you know, slavery and oppression. Yeah. Which I've got to appreciate. He's a really good orator. Mm. Like, incredible. Yeah. That's... Yeah, because America, I mean, even now makes such a huge deal about the 4th of July. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's got to hit him. <laughs> I think it does. <laughs> so Douglas was mixed race. He wasn't actually just um, African-American and white. He was also probably Native American on his mother's side. Oh, okay. Um, which apparently wasn't that uncommon. So apparently a reasonable number of African-Americans have got mm. some Native American ancestry as well, which is interesting. It is, but I guess there were probably more Native Americans around then. I suppose so. I mean, Custer hadn't happened at this point. Exactly, yeah. We hadn't had (laughs) Calamity Jane going around following the military camps and killing off loads of them. Probably. Um, And he reckoned that his father was probably his mother's owner. Right, okay. So in terms of him being born into slavery, there's no question. Like, his mum was a slave, therefore he is a slave. Yeah. Um, And he didn't get to live with his mother. He had to live with his grandmother, who was also a slave. Okay. And his grandfather, who was free. Oh, that's complicated. I know. Okay. This This is the thing that's really weird. You find... I found a lot through his history that... There could be, apparently, relationships and marriages between people who were enslaved and people who were free. Apparently, you just had to keep track of which one you were and make sure that everyone else knew it. Wow, that's just horrific for so many reasons. I know. Do you imagine, like, firstly, the power dynamic. My God, that's awful. But also having to constantly explain the situation. Yeah. Because I feel like if, if your partner is a slave... And, and you're free and in you're a state free. that allows slavery in a big way. There's going to be assumptions that you too are a slave. Yeah, I, I really think so. Yeah. Um, he was born in Maryland, by the way. Right. Um, and 
at the age of Next six... Next to Jane Land and <laughs> Frederica Land. If only. See, the problem is, I always thought when I was growing up that Maryland was like the cutest place. Is that because of the cookies? Because of the cookies. Yeah, that's mostly where I know the name from. <laughs> yeah, because like, for listeners outside the UK... In the UK, we have got these, like, basically they're biscuits, but they always called mm. themselves cookies. Yeah. And when we were growing up, we didn't have squidgy cookies very much. No, not really. It wasn't really a thing. So, like, chocolate chip biscuits, basically. And mm. they're called Maryland cookies. And they're just kind of cute. Oh, they're so nice. They're though. really nice. They're really good. And in my head, that was Maryland until I watched Hairspray, which is set oh, in Baltimore. No, and I was right, like, oh, yeah. no. Yeah, okay. So I always thought, you know, a super cute place. And yeah. then I was like, oh no, segregation. And then yep. I read about Frederick Douglass and I was like, oh no, slavery. <laughs> oh dear. I don't think the cookies have anything to do with the state. I don't think they do either. <laughs> For one thing, I don't think you get them outside of the UK. I don't think so. I don't know why they're called that. Oh, they are good though. Mm. So Maryland, sponsor us. <laughs> So when Frederick was six years old, he was separated from his grandparents. Oof. I know. In a way, I, I kind of think that's worse than George Africanus. Like three and six, there is a there is a big sort of psychological difference going on there. Yeah. And, also, uh, hadn't George Africanus been kind of straight up kidnapped from his family? Like, well, did we, we know if his we family don't was know saved? we don't really know the situation because yeah. he was taken from Sierra Leone and there's no record of like where he came from mm. basically um so he could have been part of a slave family or it could have just been this guy just rocked up and kidnapped a three-year-old great yeah um in the case of frederick Douglass, though he was separated from his grandparents when he was age six yeah so he had memories still of his exactly. mother yeah. who used to come and visit him at night yeah it's really sad he says he only ever remembers seeing his mother in darkness Oh, I know. Oh, that's so tragic. It's really, really tragic. But also shows that this man has a good turn of phrase. Oh, yes. No, he's like, oh, beautiful. Oh, fantastic. Um, So he got moved to the Y House plantation and... <laughs> Having previously been at the warehouse. <laughs> oh, wait, that works on two different levels. <laughs> Yay! Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> Not about this situation, though. That's a bad thing to say I'm so happy about. I know. Ridiculous. <laughs> Never mind. So um, he was given as a gift uh, sometime after this to a lady called Lucretia Old, A-U-L-D. Mm-hmm. And Lucretia was the wife of Thomas Old and sent and sent him to serve Thomas's brother, Hugh. Right. So, which I feel is disrespectful. If you've been given a present, you don't re-gift it. Yeah. Especially if it's a person. Yeah, that's... Oh, God. How... That's so sucky. It's so like... sucky. Like, not only am I a slave, not only have I been just given away and separated from my family, yeah. but now I'm being turned away again. Yeah, literally. Yeah. And so he's still a child, at yeah. this point, um, although he did say he felt lucky about this. Oh, okay. I think there's a couple of reasons why. Right. Um, the first reason was that Hugh Old lived in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So now he's in a city. So he's not working right. on the plantation. Yeah. Um, and he said that slaves in the city were almost freemen, in his opinion, compared to those on plantations. I assume if he's in a city, then is he like he's working in a house? Yes. Right. Okay. So that does make sense. You would have, 
yeah, that you would have more freedom and mm. the work would be slightly less dangerous, probably. Probably. Or, you know, I mean, we know from watching some awful films about the past that there was a certain reputation that went with being a house slave. Yes, yeah. And also it's a better yeah. position. Are you thinking of Django Unchained? I am partly, and I'm also thinking about 12 Years a Slave as well. Oh, I never actually saw that. Really good, mm. really sad. Yeah, that's part of the reason I didn't see yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> Um, So when he was about 12, Hewald's wife, Sophia, who seems to have been a reasonable person, um, began teaching him the alphabet. Oh, cool. So Douglas said that from the day he arrived at their house, she had been the one who made sure he was properly clothed and fed, and she made sure that he slept in a bed with sheets and a blanket. Oh, nice. So, like, she's a decent person. In, within the context of slave owning. So yeah, it's a bit like the Molinos, where it's yeah. like, you're a good person, you're doing a nice thing. You're not thinking enough about what you are doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You are definitely a good person, but you're very much a good person for the time. Yeah. But the thing was that Hugh Old disapproved of this tutoring. He said that literacy would encourage slaves to desire freedom. He's not well, wrong. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> But he's he, not wrong, he, but he's a bad person. He's morally wrong, yeah. but he's not incorrect. <laughs> the problem is that I think Sophia seems to have acted against this for a certain amount of time, but after a while she came to believe that education and slavery were incompatible. One day she snatched a newspaper away from Douglas, <laughs> and then after that she stopped teaching him altogether. She hid all the reading materials in the house from him, including her Bible. Whoa, okay. Yeah. So she taught him how to read, but then... <laughs> took it away. Took it away. Wow, that sucks. Yeah. That's... Okay, I take back some of the stuff I said about her then. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Like, I, I suspect she seems to have been decent at first... Hugh does not seem like the right person yeah. for her to be with. Who knows what was happening there? Yeah, I guess thinking about it, I can't really make that big a moral judgment on her because she's going to be very much under the thumb of her husband. And if he doesn't approve, then yeah, she's... It depends she's, on she's... what he's like. Exactly. And we don't know enough. Yeah. So I'm okay, not going to make a moral judgment no, I'll, on Sophia I'll, here. I'll reserve my moral judgment. But I think it's worthwhile knowing that this is what happened. So Douglas had a basic grasp of reading Yeah. before that got removed. But being the incredible person that he was, Mm -hmm. he then learned to read from white children in the neighborhood and by observing men writing who he worked with. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So the thing is that he could secretly continue to teach himself to read and write from these beginnings that Sophia had given him. Yeah. And he felt that knowledge is the pathway from slavery to freedom. Yeah. I mean, absolutely correct. Mm Mm-hmm. In so many ways. that's that. I mean, that phrase sums up a lot of stuff, really. Yeah. So, um, apparently, when he was 12, after the reading had been taken away from him, he found an anthology called The Columbian Orator. Ooh. And this is a book that was originally published in 1797. Mm. And it's a little classroom reader that people used to have in America. Right. And it has essays, speeches, and dialogues. Um, so this gave him his original views on freedom and human rights. Oh, wow. Right? <laughs> I've got to love that Hugh's basically like, don't teach the boy to read. Yeah. He will He will become, t- like, want desire freedom. Yeah. <laughs> Hugh, you are correct. He was right. <laughs> he was very right. <laughs> 
so Douglas's time being in being enslaved was like really really up and down I think yeah so he kept getting given from one place to another yeah it just sounds really unstable yeah and I think that's one of the things like occasionally people bring up the difference between serfdom and slavery um and I think that this is one of the main differences. Like, serfs could have been sold from one place to another. Yeah. But I think that was very, very rare. Like, they were tied to the land, usually. Yeah, serfdom's more like a sort of stagnation. Yeah. Whereas one of the big things about slavery, one of the big cruelties of it, I think, that don't, doesn't get discussed as, like, as much as I think it should be, is the fact that people didn't have a settled place yeah they could be so easily taken away from their families or their children or anything i mean it really highlights the sort of the idea that slavery really means that basically a person is property or their goods that can be like moved around to where they're needed you can sell some off if you need some quick cash you can hire them out apparently yeah this happened to douglas yeah so yeah i yeah, that brings that home a bit, really. Yeah. So, like, for instance, Douglas got hired out at one point to a man called William Freeland. Mm-hmm. And because he could read and write, he taught other slaves on that plantation. Oh, amazing. To read the New Testament, he created a Sunday school. Oh, that's so cool. And the thing is that that's something that can pass really nicely under the yeah. noses of white slave owners because there's nothing inherently wrong with reading mm. the Bible. Yeah, how are they going to argue that one? <laughs> well, except that Freeland was pretty chill about this. He was like, okay, yeah. fine. Um, but other other slaves from other plantations also came to these lessons. He had more than 40 slaves attending his lessons every Sunday. Yeah. That's a big class. I know. It's impressive and also... Too big a class size. I to know, be honest, right? As a teacher, thirty-two yeah. is enough. That was what I was gonna. I was gonna <laughs> say, like you, you've never got close to forty. I mean, I think it will be very different if it is enslaved people who are really interested in learning how to read and write. Yeah, they'd probably be more attentive Hope- than most of your students. <laughs> My students are really good, but they don't have the same like desperate need. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, um, but the thing was, the other plantation owners weren't happy about this. So apparently one Sunday, they burst into the gathering armed with clubs and stones. For God's sake. And they dispersed this congregation permanently. It was around this time that Douglas started trying to escape. Oh, nice. He didn't manage it, unfortunately, until he was about 20. So in 1837, when he was 19, Douglas met and fell in love with Anna Murray. Okay. And this is actually what led to his freedom. Right. So I think this is one of those moments where I'd assume that he'd managed to get to his freedom with amazing, like, courage and daring do and on his own wits alone. Yeah, very great escape. I mean, to be honest, it is still pretty great escape. Okay. But I feel like a lot of these stories, you get told that bit of it and you don't get told, oh, by the way... A woman helped yeah. because this is one of those stories. <laughs> I've just got it in my head. For you, Douglas, the slavery is over. <laughs> That's what I'm after. Oh, shit. <laughs> we have not planned this correctly. <laughs> you speak very good English. Well, thank you. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, we can't do anything with that. <laughs> um, okay, so he fell in love with Anna Murray and Anna Murray was free. Oh, cool. She was also five years older than him, um, but seems to have been a pretty interesting, strong-minded woman. Mm. Um, and so She's she... a hotter older lady. Yeah. Hey, I mean, Anna Murray. She's 24. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> 
so worldly. (laughs) (laughs) And so she provided him with some of her savings. Oh, damn. And found a sailor's uniform for him. I know, cute. (laughs) (laughs) Is it just because he looked adorable in it? I hope, no, no, no. Because he had managed to buy, well, to find some uh, identification papers and protection papers from a free black sailor. Oh, cool. And obviously people being super racist weren't going to look too closely at these. They're going to be like, oh, it's a black man. He looks like a sailor. Clearly the right (laughs) identification. I mean... Let's face it, that still happens. I know, right? <laughs> um, so, basically, at that point, he managed to get on a train. Mm-hmm. And it took him out of Baltimore through Philadelphia, which was a Quaker city. Ah. And up to New York. Right. And this entire journey to freedom took less than 24 hours, and then he was free. Damn. Which is mad. That's cool. Especially when you think about how many people lived less than 24 hours from complete freedom. Yeah. (sighs) Would you like to hear about what he wrote about arriving in New York City? Yeah, sure. It's gorgeous, obviously. I'm sure it is. Because I can't write as well as him and I'm just very jealous. (laughs) He says, I have often been asked how I felt when I first found myself on free soil. And my readers may share the same curiosity. There is scarcely anything in my experience about which I could not give a more satisfactory answer. A new world had opened up around me. If life is more than breath and the quick round of blood, I lived more in one day than in a year of my slave life. It was a time of joyous excitement which words can but tamely describe. In a letter written to a friend soon after reaching New York, I said, I felt as one might feel upon escape from a den of hungry lions. Anguish and grief, like darkness and rain, may be depicted, but gladness and joy, like the rainbow, defy the skill of pen or pencil. Oh, that's beautiful. God damn, Frederick Douglass. Yeah. You bastard. You bastard. <laughs> Everyone else, stop writing. <laughs> yeah. It's been done. I know, I know. So... After he arrived, he sent for Murray to follow Mm -hmm. him north, and she brought with her the basics for them to set up a home, and 11 days after he had reached New York and his freedom, they got married. And after that, they were married for 44 years. Oh, that's lovely. Which is a super nice story of freedom and getting the man you love into freedom. Yeah. So it was only about three years after this that he became an abolitionist, Mm. basically. I mean, makes sense. If your entire (laughs) life has been around slavery and you've got your freedom or you've won your freedom, basically, Mm. you probably want to put a stop to it. Yeah, very (laughs) much so. The thing was, he went to an abolition meeting. Right. And he felt the need to stand up and speak. Yeah. And everyone went, my God, this ex-slave is like an incredible orator. (laughs) And he's gorgeous. Everyone take photos. Beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) It was shortly after this that he really got into his his photographs. Yeah. Um, So he had a theory about photography, which I think is really interesting, um, which was that he felt that it was a way of bringing the immediacy of humanity um, to people, and Mm. specifically the humanity of himself as a black man. Yeah, that makes sense. So a lot of people who are famous for being anti-slavery and part of the abolition movement, like Harriet Tubman, for example, yeah, they um, had their photographs taken with props. Right, yeah. You know, the props of slavery. Yeah. Um, and he said, no. 
he wasn't going to do that. He was always going to focus on his face in his photographs. Right. So here is one of his photos for you to see. Oh, he is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see why you'd want to take a photo of that man. Oh, yes, very much so. (laughs) So he always depicts himself very smartly dressed. Yeah. And he's got this amazing, like, mane of hair. It's amazing. And he's got, like, a streak of white in it. That's so cool. In his first photographs, that isn't there, obviously, because his first photographs are when he's very young. And very angry looking. Very angry, but oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a handsome man that is. Absolutely. And this is, I think, one of the things as well. I think he recognized his own handsomeness and how that yeah. would help as well. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a sad thing, but yeah, having a beautiful mm. ex-slave as your kind of poster boy is going to be a lot better yeah. than, you know, someone who doesn't look quite so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, looking that good after years of slavery, well done him. It's very impressive. He was be- like he went to one place where he was um, in the control of a man who was known as a slave breaker, who used to beat Oof. all of his slaves so badly. Damn. And he fought him. Oh, amazing! And then got left alone. He was sixteen at that point. What in the world? This guy's awesome. I know he's so cool. <laughs> and it's one of those things. I think within the con within the confines of black history he is talked about a lot he's very famous yeah but i think in the uk we've never heard of him no i can't say i've really heard of him so i had heard of him but only because we used one of his speeches in a series on rhetoric and that was we used his speech specifically because we wanted to talk about slavery when you say we do you mean the school uh yeah right so yeah. like i taught my year eights one of his speeches right. at one point um he also had this... How dare you indoctrinate them. Oh, no, I with, know. With your perspective on history. It's almost like I'd say white privilege I to know, or right? something. Like, we all know, because the British government tells us that slavery was bad, yes, but there were some good elements to it as well. Do you know that there is a place in Texas where, um, I think it was like a school director or somebody high up, a school governor maybe, said that if they if teachers were to have books that taught about the Holocaust on their bookshelves, they would have to have a book with an opposing view. Yep. What's an opposing view to the fact that the Holocaust happened? Yeah. I don't know. I thought we were kind of past that whole Holocaust deniers phase. Mm, It always always comes back because, let's face it, it's very easy for people to choose randomly Jewish people to blame for everything. Anti-Semitism, it always comes back. It does. Okay, but let's go back to Douglas. Yeah. So Douglas obviously wanted equality. Mm-hmm. And he said that Louis Daguerre, as in the inventor of the daguerreotype, yeah. um, should be held in great esteem because it meant that photography could go beyond the upper class. Yeah. And he said, because of them, the humblest servant girl may now possess of her, a picture of herself such as the wealth of kings could not purchase 50 years ago. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And he also particularly liked photography because it meant that pictures of him were not pictures that had been created by a white artist. Yeah, that also makes sense. So apparently he did have some um, paintings made of himself. Yeah. um, But each time he was completely unsatisfied. Right. Because that is the artist's vision of him and not his own. Whereas, as we can see through 
literally the hundreds of photos of himself, he could control exactly how he was presented. Yeah. So one thing that I will say about the photographs is that they nearly all have him with a very stern face. Yeah, I'm noticing that. Yeah, especially the very early ones of him. He looks incredibly cross. Yeah. Um, And then later on, he just looks, I don't know, sort of regal, to be honest. It it is, yeah. But again, like, it's stern. It's a stern look. And of course, he did this on purpose. Yeah. Um, Because this was the time of minstrel shows... Right, okay, where, you know, happy-go-lucky black people Mm -hmm. dance for white people's pleasure and... Yeah, uh, 100%. I think that, um, so thinking about another podcast, actually, Yeah. um, wasn't it The New Day, um, on their podcast, The New Day, Feel the Power? Yeah. um, They talked about the fact that they were a bit concerned about how they were portraying themselves. Yes. Because there is still, to an extent, that stereotype of, like, the happy minstrelsy-style black person. Yeah. Who's just, like, a figure of entertainment and fun and often portrayed as quite stupid. Yeah, I mean, I I can't remember the exact words they used. Basically, like, they have thought about this. Um, For for listeners who don't know, the New Day are a stable in wrestling in WWE, Mm -hmm. Uh, and they are three black men. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to just try and remember what they said. Like, really, if you're interested, you should listen to their podcast. It is really good. It is. I mean, it's really good. Sometimes they talk about poop a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's also, you know. There's some quite serious it's such, insights. It's I such think. a weird mix of a podcast. <laughs> anyway, back to our podcast, which we yeah. should really be doing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, he always insisted on being portrayed sternly um, just because he wanted to go against that idea of being portrayed as a happy slave. Yeah. And I think, really, you kind of still see that even up until the 1960s. So Mm. in things like Gone with the Wind, the image of slaves being happy in their work and being cared for and being childlike, it's it's very strong. I think there's... There definitely there are, there are elements of that that still exist in society, and there's also kind of like you you've got this new well it's not new mm. but it is a thing that's kind of come out as a as a sort of counter to that, or at least not a counter but just another aspect of that where you've got either sort of you know happy black people or you've got scary black man. Mm. That's true. I think that was there at the time as well. I Probably. Mean, that was kind of the justification for starting up the Ku Klux Klan. So, ultimately, this is really all I've got to talk about with Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he managed not only to save himself from slavery, but also become such an important figure, such an important orator, and then to reclaim his own image in a way yeah. that was like very literal actually yeah that i think gives like such an interesting insight into what it would be like to try and be the face of black freedom mm. he'd clearly thought an awful lot about it absolutely i mean he sounds like a very clever person mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah thank you for listening to that time when 
You can follow us on Twitter at that time when for, and if you have any suggestions for episodes, you can email them to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you as always to Kevin McLeod for our theme song Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's used in the pod. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and read some Frederick Douglass. Bye!